0: On this episode, we're debuting an all-new look to the show. We're also going to talk about sleeper hits that no one is buying. We talk about the Toyota Prius Prime. And we question, how clean is your electric car? Next on Talking Cars. (laughs) Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Talking Cars with Consumer Reports. I'm Mike Monticello.
1: I'm Gabe Shenhar.
0: And I'm Mike Quincy. For those of you watching the video version of this podcast, you can see we have a new look going on this week. And this is something we're going to be trying over the next several episodes. We want to try and up the production quality of the show. For instance, we've got these fancy new microphones that should hopefully make us sound a lot better, may not make us look any better. No, we're still pretty ugly. But the goal here is to have it feel more like you guys are here with us sitting around this table talking about the things that you want to talk about related to cars. Um, that's what it's really all about. And because of that, we want to hear your feedback. We want to know what you like, what you don't like. So you can reach out to us uh, by commenting on YouTube, or you can send us an email directly at talkingcarsatconsumer.org. You can send all the negative comments directly to Mike Quincy. He loves getting those. I can handle them. And with that, uh, let's get to talking about cars. So the first thing I wanted to talk about today was cars that good cars that fly under the radar. And I can't think of a better example of that than the Kia Cadenza. I mean, this is a car, the first generation was a good car. Not a lot of people bought it. Not a lot of people seem to know about it. We just finished testing the redesigned second generation version. And uh, I'm curious what you think about the car. And should this be on people's list? Gabe, do you want to go first?
1: Sure. So uh, yeah, um, the car is uh, very much under the radar screen. It's a, it's a large car. It's uh, It's very, very roomy. It has a slick powertrain. I mean, it really goes, uh, decent fuel economy, easy controls. I mean, this is a car that uh, is very kind of uh, undemanding. I mean, it may not be uh, fun to drive, but it, it can be, if you're not too much of a connoisseur in terms of ride and handling, then you're getting a really nice car that uh, will serve you very nicely. I mean, for me personally, it, when I look out the window uh, and look at all our fleet, it's not the first car I'm going to run to and, and and jump into. So, uh, but there are a lot of yeah. people that uh, would totally be happy with that car.
0: And it, the 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 handling maybe isn't that fun, but the engine's pretty strong and the transmission's really smooth. I mean, so it's. It's not uh, maybe super invigorating, you know, to take through a turn, but that that engine's pretty nice. And uh, what a,
2: and what a great road trip car.
0: Yeah, would you recommend this car to As- a friend? Absolutely, because it because it is so quiet inside. The
2: seats are comfortable, and um, one of the great things for me with the Cadenza and a lot of Kia's and Hyundai's these days are the controls are just a snap to learn. It takes about two seconds to figure out. Uh, how to operate the nav system? How to pair, how to uh, pair your phone? Uh, uh, how to uh, choose your radio station? Whatever, whatever you want. It's a, it's a super easy car to live with, and and you combine that with with you know decent fuel economy. It's it's a great
0: road trip companion. So I guess the question is, why does a car like this? Why is it not on people's lists?
1: Well, you have to acknowledge that there is a brand perception here. I mean, a Kia. That's a large car, and at that price point, I mean, it's brushing forty thousand dollars is not gonna be a natural choice for a lot of people. So uh, that that's something to contend with. I mean, and, y- and you have a lot of established kind of brands out there. You have the Chevy Impala, you have the Toyota Avalon. And plus this large sedan class, uh, it's not a big segment small, of the yeah, market at all. Big car,
0: yeah. small segment. Right.
2: And, and while you, you mentioned that it has a, a, per, a perception uh, a problem, I guess you're going to call it, because it's not considered a luxury brand. On the other side of that perception coin is reliability. A lot of people wouldn't think that a Kia would be reliable, but the last cadenza was super reliable, and this one is also showing up really good data in Consumer Reports Reliability Surveys. So while you don't think the the cadenza is luxurious
0: or Kia at all, you might not also think it's reliable, but in fact it it, it's doing pretty well. Yeah, so maybe it should be on a lot of people's lists. Perhaps. Um, another car in, in the same category is the Buick Regal. And you know, when you think of luxury compacts, what do you usually think of? Think of an Audi A4, BMW 3 Series. Mercedes C-Class, uh, maybe a Cadillac ATS, right? And what's, what's cool when you think about
2: the Regal is that it, it really is in kind of the sports sedan segment. At least that's how it, it shows up in Consumer Reports. Right, but who thinks uh, of uh, a Regal rating. as, as, the, as but, a sports but, sedan? But the, the funny thing, I was looking this up before we went on the air, it actually outscores the BMW 3 series. So you have a Buick outscoring a BMW. And who on earth would have ever thought that?
1: Yeah. So uh, yeah, with the Buick uh, Regal, I mean, the car is kind of like it falls between the cracks because nobody would consider it uh, a family sedan, and no one's considering it uh, as a compact sports sedan as a legitimate competitor to a BMW 3 Series or an Audi A4. But. the credentials of the car. I mean, the car is basically a German design. It's based on an Opel, and uh, drives it drives like a, drives car, like right? a mm-hmm. totally well-honed uh, sports sedan. It's enjoyable to drive. What it gives up uh, compared to a BMW or an Audi, it doesn't have the interior quality, but, uh, but it's not it's bad. It's not, not bad. It's got comfortable seats. Uh, the handling is, is uh, kind of taut and agile. It has good uh, infotainment system and that uh, turbo uh, two-liter engine with 252 horsepower. It's it's a dynamite engine, and I keep coming back to this. It's got good reliability, right?
0: But again, right. the the you know the sales numbers are, are kind of low for that car. I'm curious. And you know, it's also so-
1: at, uh, on its last legs because right. uh, there is going to be a redesign replacing it in the fall. Might right, be a the, good,
0: maybe a great time to get a deal. That's what I was thinking. though. well, besides that, you know, with the Regal Sportback that's coming and the Tour X, the wagon version that's coming, you know. They certainly look the part a lot more than the current car. I wonder if that will get it more on people's radar. I wonder if that's enough.
1: We'll see. Time will tell.
2: Regal, like much of General Motors, and certainly
0: Cadillac, they
2: have to get younger. They have to get younger buyers. Um, the the Regal was a good step toward that. Uh, the last lacrosse that Consumer Reports tested was not a big, heavy, floaty grandpa mobile like the old ones were. So they're probably taking a few cautious steps toward getting a younger audience. And as you said, Mike, the, those those cars that we saw at the New York Auto Show from Buick are looking really modern, really slick, and really pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Actually, for Buick, I mean the one model that really helped. The uh, lower their, uh, the age of the buyer is the Buick Enclave, and that is uh, a large family-size SUV, seven-passenger, and, uh, and there is going to be a redesign in the fall as well. Yeah.
0: Well, so I've brought up a couple. Uh, what do you guys have, uh, Mike? Do you have a, a good car that flies under the radar that people aren't thinking about?
2: Oh, I, I think one of the real sleepers out there is the Honda Ridgeline. Uh, listen, it's a it's a Consumer Reports top pick. So like you know like the Regal used to be a top pick, um, and and what the what the cool thing about the Ridgeline is is it really fulfills most homeowner's needs for a, a kind of a basic pickup truck. Uh, a, a lot of uh, times when you think a small truck, you think Toyota Tacoma. But as we know in our experience, Tacoma is a rough brute. It has a, a terrible ride, the seats sit on the floor. Listen, I'm a fan of how good it is off-road. I'm a, I'm a fan of how tough it is. I'm a, I, you, you can't knock the Tacoma's resale value. You can't buy a used Tacoma because they're so expensive. So, so forget about the, the, the image. Forget about a huge truck. The image of not having a real pickup truck. Yeah, the the Ridgeline does so many things well. It is comfortable. It's got a nice ride. It has an easy-to-use storage system in the bed. Uh, It's got Honda, you know, traditional good reliability. Uh, I think if, if, you know, forget about what, you know, all your friends might say about getting an F-150, which I love, and the Ram, which I love. I, I would totally look at, at a Ridgeline, and I love pickup trucks, but I, I wouldn't be ashamed to have one in my, in my driveway at all.
1: Yeah, it's a smart pickup truck. Uh, as Mike said, you know, it's got everything that uh, anybody would would need as a homeowner. It may not have this uh, Marlboro Man kind of uh, image.
2: And, and it can only tow about five thousand pounds, which right. limits you know a lot of people with with their trailers and stuff like that. But now the
1: last one wasn't a big seller. Do you think
0: that had as much to do with the kind of uh, out there styling as anything, or? Yeah, I think I think the last styling, the last truck's st- styling didn't didn't do it for me. Uh,
2: obviously, the numbers weren't that good. I, I I give Honda credit for sticking with it. Yeah. I mean, obviously, selling a pickup truck uh, for many manufacturers a good profit center. Uh, they can base it off off of the the Pilot platform and, and reuse all that tooling and all that stuff. So so it, it's a smart move by Honda. I'm glad they're 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 doing it again. Uh, but but yeah, the, right now the sales numbers for, for the Ridgeline
0: are, are way behind all the other trucks. So the, but that's that's why we're talking and about it, it now. And, you know, and, and I I get that it's uh, a really great driving truck for a truck. But I, I said it once before on this show that there's a few things about it that I don't like, and that it's not, maybe it's just not trucky enough. And it's not for the reason of being trucky, it's that the bed is shallow. So things mm-hmm. that are in it, like, you know, I, I carry bicycles and I haul motorcycles. And for me, I really, it, if the bed were large enough that I could put a bicycle in and put the tailgate fully up, I'd be on board if it rode like that. So what I need yep. is something that rides and drives as good as it, but that has a little bit of a bigger bed. Um, for me, that, that bed is just a little limiting for the things I do. But I get what you're saying, that a lot of homeowners don't need uh, a huge bed, although you'd be surprised at things that you can't fit into the back of a small bed, okay. you know, when you're just go down. Fair point. Yeah. yeah. Um, Gabe, what about you? Do you have uh, a vehicle that you think is a really good car that, that most people don't think about?
1: I was thinking about the Subaru Legacy 3.6 R. So uh, it's a family car and it has uh, the six cylinder, and um, it that engine actually transforms the car and uh, it, you still have the, uh, the, the plush ride that it has responsive handling. The effects of uh, the adverse effects of the CVT, the continuously variable transmission aren't uh, felt as much with uh, that bigger engine. The car is quieter, it's quicker, and uh, it rides more comfortably than some cars costing twice as much. I mean, you get one of these for $34,000 and you have a car that is a a total sleeper. But uh, I've recommended that car to a couple of people and they're happy campers.
0: Now, why do you think people just don't know about it? Or why do you think people aren't buying this car? I, I think, well, it's because it's, it's, it's more money than the four cylinder.
2: It's uh, less, less, you know, worse fuel economy than the four cylinder. I wouldn't call it a gas pig or anything like that. But but I, I, I just also wonder how, how many of them do they have in stock? I mean, is the average Subaru buyer just going to walk to the dealer and, and say, well, you know, what do you got?
1: Well, that's one and, thing. You know. uh, another thing thing is, you come to a Subaru dealer, you usually walk out with a Forester or an Outback. Right, right. right. Yeah.
2: And, and since we, Subaru doesn't, doesn't sell a lot of six-cylinders, we test them on occasion. Obviously, the majority of the Subarus that we test are four-cylinders, and it's probably the one criticism that we have with those vehicles, is that the engines are pretty smooth, fairly fuel-efficient for having all-wheel drive, but they're
1: not all that quick. No, they're not. No. Oh. Yeah, the, the engine is a little, can be a little... Tired. Right. I, th- I
2: think that's a really good choice. So I, did, I, didn't, I didn't think of that one when we were planning on this, on this yeah. podcast. And that's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great sleeper right there.
0: I've got another one for you guys that is a little bit out there. It's not a mainstream car because it's the, in the ultra luxury segment. And for me, that's the Genesis G90. Uh, we have one right now that we tested. And I drove it the other night after not having driven it for a little while. And you get in it and you realize this car, our test car, is just a little over seventy thousand dollars, and when you're driving this thing, it feels, it rides, drives inside the comfort, the controls, feels like about a hundred thousand dollar car that you're driving, and you know, and it competes against cars like the Audi A8, BMW 7 Series, and it's generally thousands and thousands less than all of its competitors. This is a really nice car, but I yeah, think I it's I mean, you're not, talking
1: twenty or thirty thousand dollars less than those yeah, cars. not here. a couple yeah.
0: thousand, but a yeah. big difference in in uh, price, and yet I doubt it's going to sell like the way they do and i mean is if for this case it might purely be a status symbol thing. Do you think it's that, or
2: I, well, just like we talked about with the Cadenza? I mean, you don't think Kia, or Hyundai, and, and and luxury, and maybe that's one of the reasons that Hyundai just said, well, forget it. We're we're just we're not going to try to sell them as Hyundai's. We're going to just call them Genesis and start over, kind of like what Toyota did with Lexus. Uh, but you're you're spot on. You're totally right about the G ninety uh, flying under the, the radar for luxur, luxury luxury uh, car buyers. And what what dazzles me about the G ninety actually is the back seat yeah the back seat is enormous and ours has that um, uh, that center uh, uh, armrest that folds down that gives you all the climate controls all the audio controls i mean if you're going to be driven in a car uh, that is that is a great place to be to, 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 to be uh, hanging out in the back seat you that can is- play
1: vip in this yeah. car as uh, much but not only being driven, I mean it's not not a bad drive. What a you know, great drivetrain! It's uh, drive train it has. It's drive. really quick. Exactly. Effortless
0: yeah. power. I mean, mm-hmm. it's everything that you desire in an ultra-luxury sedan. If, if yeah. you if you took the the G ninety and and you put a, a German label on it, yeah.
2: I bet it, the reception would be different. Yeah. I bet the sales would be different. Um, of course. A, 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 but but what a what a what a technically proficient car! It really is yeah. really nice.
1: Yeah, you might want to swap places with your chauffeur every now and then. Exactly. Right. Exactly.
0: <laughs> okay, I got one more for you guys. Ford C Max. Uh, you know, obviously, when it comes to hybrids, the Toyota Prius is the 800-pound gorilla. I mean, no one can touch the Prius in terms of sales. Uh, but this is ranked not that far behind the Prius in our ratings. Um, What's this car like? Should more people be buying it? Why are people not buying it in the numbers that they're buying the Prius?
1: So uh, yeah, Ford uh, is is very advanced and, and uh, very accomplished in the hybrid technology. Uh, <clears throat> although everybody gives the uh, credit uh, to Toyota, but the C Max uh, as a hybrid and as a plug-in hybrid, I mean, these are very nice cars. I mean, it's it's a quiet, it rides well, it has uh, it handles with agility, feels very sophisticated, uh, and. Um <clears throat> It uh, the first few years, it had some teething problems. It uh, really had uh, some spotty reliability record, according to our uh, <clears throat> survey. But now, finally, it's uh, at a point where it's reliable enough. So, uh, and definitely, uh, more people should should buy uh, either as a hybrid or a plug-in hybrid. Is
0: is the 37 miles per gallon overall? That, I mean, is that uh, you know that's what the, the regular hybrid gets. For the C Max, is that part of the problem? It, it's a pretty big jump. That is a big compared to, to miles our, per gallon for the Prius. Our
2: last yeah. tested Prius in terms of fuel economy, but 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 it's it's not it, it's certainly not a a deal breaker in my mind. I, I'm glad that we're now recommending the C Max because of its of its great uh, uh, drivability. Um, and I think the compelling reason, the argument that you give to somebody to convince them to buy a C Max is you just say. It's not a Prius. Yeah, it doesn't have the Prius image. It doesn't have the Prius look. It doesn't have any of the baggage that the Prius comes with, and that's you know it, it it's kind of damning it with faint praise because technically the Prius is a pretty accomplished car, but but uh, but there's also I think a real Prius backlash. Well,
1: there is uh, that baggage cuts both ways. I mean, it gives you the creden- green credentials, but it. There's also that uh, backlash as well. It's
2: like Prius drivers and BMW yeah. 3 Series right. drivers, who, which, which, who are hated the most, <laughs> you know.
0: <laughs> well, speaking of the Prius, and speaking of cars that uh, do also fly under the radar or aren't bought by a lot of people, we just finished testing a Prius Prime. Now, that's the plug-in version of the Prius, uh, so it's a new version of the, you know, it's a, it's a new version of the pr- of the plug-in based on the current Prius that we just tested. Uh, what do you think of this car and? Have they improved some of the things that they really needed to improve
1: over the last version? Well, uh, what a difference four years make. Uh, the last previous uh, plug-in was uh, really a half-hearted effort, uh, Toyota. Came up with it, kicking and screaming. Basically, uh, I mean, saying, "Hey, we're a hybrid company. and We don't care about these EVs, and we, we don't want to or, give money to plugins. aftermarket companies yeah. that are doing it." <laughs> uh, in the end, they offered one, which was really not very much uh, of a, of an EV uh, experience. It uh, turned on its engine every time it uh, smelled a hill from afar. And Whereas you want it to time, just stay in electric exactly. drive longer. Yeah. yeah. And this one uh, is uh, keeps itself in electric mode uh, more of the time, more often. Uh, it's still not an unconditional EV in cold weather and in, uh, in high power demands like uh, quick acceleration. It'll turn on the engine, but um, you can, uh, I mean, we're, We've been getting 22 miles plus of uh, electric only. It takes two hours to charge it. Uh, that's about that's about double the last one, right? Totally, yeah. Uh, more than double because the last one was so reluctant to give you the EV experience. Right. So um, it's it's really a nice uh, a nice idea for someone who is uh, thinking about um, has a a very short commute um, and uh, can plug at work can plug at, at home can plug overnight and um and it's not like a vault that's going to give you a 50-mile range. But with that kind of range and, uh, and Toyota reputation, I think it's a pretty, pretty good entry. And, and it gives you a lot of other benefits uh, in terms of uh, tax incentives, uh, state right. and federal, and the ability to drive in the uh, HOV lanes, high occupancy lanes. So that's, uh, that's an advantage right but there.
0: will people buy it? That's the question. People seem like they don't like to have to plug in hybrids they're OK, I guess, plugging in electric cars because they don't have a choice. But if it's a plug-in hybrid, they seem to stay away from those because they're probably thinking, well, why don't I just get a regular Prius? It gets 52 miles per gallon already. Why do I have to plug it in every night? Right, so- and, and a
2: regular Prius is going to save you money. It's, it's less money. Uh, the, the 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 Prius Prime isn't without its, its compromises. I mean, you have less uh, uh, cargo room because the batteries are taking up space in the storage area.
1: It's only a four-seater. Yeah, uh, that's true. Only, yeah. only
2: a four-seater because you lose that middle spot. Um, it's it's heavier. Uh, I wouldn't say it, it handles worse than the regular Prius. It's pretty similar but, actually yeah. but but yeah. it but it, you do feel a little bit of that heft. Uh, I don't I don't know Mike I don't I don't know how you convince somebody to to buy a plug-in when the regular Prius is so good, especially with the price of gas these days, which is That's not the other that horrible and and I, I, I've see it for, for the last 20 30 years when the price of gas goes up, people stand in line. To buy the small fuel-efficient cars, prices gas is relatively cheap for the United States. Those those cars just go begging on dealers' lots.
1: Yeah, there's one other thing here, and uh, the plug-in uh, hybrid is is not a very well understood kind of concept. Uh, the the level of awareness among the public is very low. Uh, is it a hybrid? Is it plug-in? I mean, right. what's the range? Am I going to get stuck? Uh, so there is a lot of uh, uh misunderstanding out there about plug-in hybrids and,
2: and and i think that's that's actually a good point because when you're driving a tesla or you're driving a leaf it's obvious you know this is different right and, and the people that know cars are, well that's an electric car the prius prime is not that radically styled di- that differently than the regular prius so you're not really making right. that statement that you might want to make as a green carb uh driver
0: right well speaking of evs we have a reader question here that i think uh, you guys might be interested in tackling uh The person says, can you please give us more information about EV and hybrid batteries? I was wondering if EV and hybrids are actually more environmentally friendly than their gasoline counterparts. While EVs and hybrids don't emit or emit less pollution while driving, manufacturing them surely produces quite a bit of pollution. And how are the batteries being recycled afterwards? Also, have you guys noticed a significant increase in your electricity bill? When you are testing EVs like the Model S, Leaf, etc., now I think Gabe, what the person's really talking about is not so much manufacturing of the cars and even the batteries, but more about uh, what is your power source for you know for driving these electric vehicles down the road. You know, is it coal? Is it wind, solar, natural gas, hydro? That's Really, the question is to terms of, you know, how clean is that energy source, right? That's a lot of questions. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Loaded.
1: Yeah. Uh, so We don't um, have a lot of time. Yeah. So anyway, um, it really depends on, uh, on the state you're in and the power source. Uh, here in Connecticut, we're at about 70% natural gas, uh, so that's pretty clean. Uh, coal source is on the decline. And... Um, I mean, look, I mean, you're driving a car, uh, producing a car, the metal, the glass, the plastics, the rubber. I mean, there is no, you want to be environmentally uh, correct, ride a bicycle like you do. Uh, so <laughs> I thought you were going to say, get a horse. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, I'm not going to say that's, that. That's,
2: that's Those are bad emissions too. So right. Right.
1: And uh, they put uh, no, he's, <laughs> uh, he has another part of the question. Uh, yeah, he's wondering about our consumption here. Right. Uh, so. yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, just in case he wants some numbers, I'll give it to him. Um, for the past few years, uh, ever since we started testing uh, electric cars, we've used 13 megawatt hour of uh, electricity charging these cars up. But there is there are other parts of the equation here. We've also been saving 5,300 uh, <clears throat> kilograms of uh, GHG, uh, greenhouse gas. Uh, Emissions, so uh, there's that, and in the process we also saved 1,600 gallons of fuel.
0: Okay, so
2: so, so but the, the the downside, and I, and I've I've not necessarily I'm going to call myself an electric vehicle skeptic, but um, uh, the research no, that's,
0: you're labeled that now
2: for sure. Yeah, the the research that I've, the, according to the EPA the national average is about uh, of, of coal usage for energy is about 38.7 percent. And that is still the most used source of, ele- of electricity in, in the United States. Uh, so sometimes when people say, well, you know, it's, it's a zero emissions vehicle, well, actually, it depends where you live. Like you said, Gabe, if you're getting a lot of your electricity from coal-fired plants, you're, you actually have a lot of emissions. You just have a longer tailpipe, which is kind of what uh, we've been saying for a while. So as, as long as the country can move closer to uh, renewable energy, less coal production, um, I think that that's going to be a boon for people that, that, that want to do well for the environment and, and, and driving electric vehicles because the technology obviously has never been better, and it's probably only going to get better.
0: Mm. All right. Well, I think that's about going to wrap it up for this episode of Talking Cars. If you want to learn more about the cars that we talked about today, you can click on the links in the show notes below. And as always, thanks for watching, and uh, we hope to see you next time.